It's a great honor to, to serve the Lord with this church. Amen. There's no other battalion I'd rather be a part of than this church here today. Amen. In this, in this battle that we fight as good soldiers of the kingdom. Amen. God is so good. Thank you for, for the flowers and the card. Amen. God's good. You can be seated tonight. Just a quick update on Brother Chuppy. So everybody, trying to keep everybody as updated as possible. Um, things do seem to change pretty quickly. Um, I was just going to read the text. It says they moved Brother Chuppy out of the ICU to the sixth floor last night, a lot smaller room, hoping to get a bigger one. We'll be doing a, another chemo treatment on Thursday, which is tomorrow. All vitals are doing better. Um, the shaking has stopped and not much for fevers. So he's doing better. They're moving him out of the ICU. Amen. And uh, from what I understand is... It seems that every, you know, Mayo is a hospital of specialists. Like they have the best of the best. And I've heard stories about kind of their vetting process to get certain doctors and specialists to work there. You know, you know they'll get a thousand applicants for a job, for one position. And they'll, you know, get down to the top 100 and... And they, I mean, they, they have the best of the best. And from what I understand is um, these specialists are fairly confused right now. So uh, on what's going on with what his charts are showing to how he's actually doing, that sort of thing. And actually, I talked to Brother, uh, Brother Slutton today, Brother, I call him Brother Slate. Um, him and Jody, Sister Jody, were there the other day visiting him. And he, he told me today, he's like, Surely God is in this. Like surely that God is doing something in this. And sometimes when you're so close to the situation, you don't see clearly. But when somebody comes in that hasn't seen Brother Chuppy in a while and that sort of thing, you get a different perspective. But surely the Lord is, is in it. Amen. So how he's going to do it, when he's going to do it, the reasons he's doing it this way, I know not. Amen? But I know that God's in charge. God's in charge. So we can have a peace in that. So just continue to pray and just continue to pray for a peace and, and strength through all of it and that God's perfect will would happen. Amen? We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, today. Uh, my wife and I and at least a couple of the kids are going to be heading to Rochester in the morning. We'll be coming back Saturday afternoon. But uh, just continue to be in prayer. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 1, says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that you were, excuse me, Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a curse, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. 
Now, the, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord, and there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. So we have diversities, we have differences of administrations, and we have diversities of operations, but it's the same Spirit working. Verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, and to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, and to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. And tonight I just want to uh, focus on what we would call the supernatural gifts of the Spirit. In the last couple of weeks we talked about the service gifts, we talked about the ministerial office gifts that God has given to the church, but he's also given us some supernatural gifts. And tonight we're going to just go through these one by one, just give a uh, a brief explanation. Of course, I could spend an entire week on each one of these. Um, we're going to kind of give you a, a high-level view of this. I, I, I would say this, that if you are interested in getting to know more about the gifts of the Spirit, Brother Bernard's book on spiritual gifts, I think he just wrote it the last, it's a fairly newer book. It is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And I'm using a lot of his stuff. So if it sounds really smart, it's because I'm, I wrote it on my, on my notes. Um, but he just explains it so well. And I'm just going to give you kind of a high-level view of it um, as we go through this chapter. But starting, um, we're going to kind of break the nine spiritual gifts up into three different categories. And tonight we're going to start with the gifts of revelation. Um, the gifts of, of revelation. And the first one we're going to talk about is the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom. So wisdom means simply understanding what is true. Okay, It's right, understanding what is right or lasting. Um, the difference, now there's another gift called the a word of knowledge. So the difference between knowledge and understanding, there is a difference between them. And, and knowledge is an understanding of information or of facts, but wisdom is an understanding of how to use that information, how to use those facts to make a good decision. Amen? Because and, and apart from these gifts, we can have all the knowledge in the world, but we have to, use, we have to know how to use that knowledge and that is wisdom, um, to make good decisions. So wisdom involves insight, um, judgment, and guidance. Um, and God does not impart all of his wisdom to us, um, but he gives us just a portion, um, usually for a specific situation or a specific matter that he wants to, to guide you in. Um, a good definition of the word of wisdom is a divine insight, judgment, or guidance for a particular need 
or situation. And this is a supernatural gift that God uses. Um, Acts chapter 27 and in verse 9, it says, Now when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already past, Paul admonished them and said, un- said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading in the ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. So in this particular uh, verse, uh, Paul was on his way to Rome. He got put on a ship and uh, um, and the weather wasn't looking good and, and Paul gave a word of wisdom. He said, if we continue, there will be damage to the ship, um, there will be hurt, and we are at risk of our own lives. And of course, um, the professionals in the matter, the sailors, looked at the circumstances. They understood the sea better than Paul did. They understood the, the logistics of where they were at, where they were going better than Paul did. Paul wasn't a sailor. Um, they understood the weather better than Paul did, and they, their professional opinion was that it is safe to sail. Um, but Paul gave a divine word of wisdom, and this countered what the, sa- the sailors did, ultimately decided to do. Um, and, and we read on that they ended up in trouble, and they ended up shipwrecked, and only by the grace of God. And for Paul... Really, you know, them, you know, them listening to Paul through the rest of the journey were their lives saved. So in this particular situation, um, God gave the apostle Paul a word of wisdom. And you'll notice that through, through Paul's missionary journeys that this happened more than once, that uh, there was a word of wisdom given. And of course, and I was thinking about this today. I've had personal um, instances and situations where, you know, I'm in a, you know, I'm 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 in a conversation with somebody about a, a particular problem, or maybe even um, a Bible study, and all of a sudden there comes just a word of wisdom. And I've had this happen to me, and I've also had somebody speak it to me that what was spoken was just completely out of nowhere. And it wasn't anything that was thought of before. It wasn't anything that anybody had conjured up. It was beyond our natural wisdom. And that that word was fitly spoken. And it was the right word for that moment. It was a God-given word for the situation. Amen. I think, uh, there, and sometimes we don't, sometimes this gift is used and somebody will speak and uh, I speak a word, and we're, we don't even always know it. Um, but I know there's times in my life where I'm like, that, that will, will was spoken right there. That was from God. That was a word of wisdom. Amen. And we can find other examples through Scripture. The other um, gift here is the word of knowledge. The other gift of revelation is the word of knowledge. Now, knowledge is, is familiarity. It's awareness or understanding gained through experience or study. Um, it's, this gift uh, um, involves uh, divine information. 
to somebody, divine facts to somebody who doesn't know it. Um, Again, this doesn't mean all the knowledge of God is given, but a portion of God's knowledge is given. Of course, we know that God knows everything. He's, he, he knows everything, and he will just give you a little, little piece of, what, of everything that he knows so that you know for a particular situation. Um, so a good definition of the word of knowledge is a supernatural gift of a portion of divine information for a particular need or situation. And of course, we read in Acts 5, starting in verse 1, it says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, they sold a possession um, and kept pack, back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Well, it remains... Was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And of course, we continued reading, and, and, and Ananias's wife showed up, and, and she was smote dead as well. And they had... Uh, they had sold a possession, maybe a piece of land, um, and they had basically convinced everybody that they, were, they sold this land. They gave the entire amount of what they sold it for to the church, but in reality, they kept back part of it. So they, they really lied to the church. They lied to the Holy Ghost, and it seems that God supernaturally revealed this to the apostle Peter. Um, it doesn't seem like anybody else knew. It said that his wife was privy to it, um, it doesn't record that anybody else was privy to it. Um, so it seemed that the Apostle Peter was given a supernatural, um, supernatural information about this particular situation. And uh, I was reading Brother Bernard told a story about, of course, his parents were missionaries in Korea. And uh, there was a, they had a situation where actually Brother Bernard, I think he was back Elder Brother Bernard was back in the States, and Sister Bernard was still in Korea, and um, there was a pastor that was ill, and Sister Bernard and a few of the others um, went to go pray for this pastor, and I'm not sure, you know, of course, they had to walk there, and I'm not sure of the distance or any, or any, any of that information, but um, there ended up being a blizzard, like a snowstorm, and they, they ended up gotten, they got lost in the rice paddies. And uh, they ended up falling into the, the irrigation ditches, and they were, they were cold, and they were getting ready to, to you know, enter into hypothermia and, and all this sort of thing. And, and Sister Bernard felt that God told her to just turn around completely and head the other direction. And, of course, she received some... You know, the others thought they were heading in the right direction, but she's like, this is what God told me. We need to head in the, in the, in the opposite direction. And, and they did. And they ended up very shortly after that finding the place where they were going. And they got to the door of this pastor's house, and they, they were so cold they couldn't even knock on the door. And uh, because of a, a word of knowledge that God gave 
Sister Bernard, um, they were saved. So I love stories like this, right? Like, and, uh, and of course, we read, we read stories like this all through Scripture. Of course, you know, Paul was given a word of knowledge about going back to Jerusalem, and Agabus prophesied, gave him a word of knowledge that, you know, things weren't going to be good if he went back there. And it seemed that Paul, he already, he, he welcomed that. He, he knew that it was the will of God for him to go back there. And, and this knowledge that God gave him for this situation was just useful information of what to expect when he got to Jerusalem. And of course, that's exactly what happened. So the other, the third gift in the gifts of revelation is the discerning of spirits. The discerning of spirits. Uh, of course, discernment is just a keenness of insight and judgment. Um, it's the ability to make a proper distinction or determination and to know truth from error. And if you've been around a while, you know that there are certain people that are just more discerning than others. Um, they have a, they're more observant, you know, they're more, they have this intuition, they just kind of, they have the ability to feel the pulse of a situation. And uh, I, I sometimes think I lack discernment. I <laughs> just like, so I just, I'm completely blindsided. Um, and, but there are people who, are, who can really read into situations well. Of course, this gift is, is, uh, is, you know, just having good discernment isn't the gift of discernment. But this gift is the gift of discernment of spirits. Okay? Um, so it's not the gift of discernment. It's the gift of discerning of spirits. I was going to mention, too, like, it's cold in here, not because we didn't pay our bill. But we're having a little bit of boiler problems, so um, it's not because we didn't pay the, the heating bill. <laughs> so if we need to get up in the middle and, and warm up, we surely can. But hopefully we can get that fixed before Sunday. Um, all right, so it's not the gift of discernment, but it's the gift of discerning of spirits. It's the gift to discern spirits. Um, so we look at what, what does that mean, the gift of discerning of spirits. And, and there are, are several possible sources of, of spiritual activity, okay? Of course, we have God's, you know, supernatural ability, God and his angels. There is uh, there's supernatural activity that, that happens by the hand of God and his angels. We also have the devil and his demons, Okay, so we have supernatural activity with God and his angels, the devil and his demons, and then we also have spiritual activity by our own human spirit. Okay, so through the discerning of spirits, uh, we can understand which, which one has motivated a certain action. Um, it also can provide the type of spirit that underlies certain actions. And, and you know, oftentimes we, we think of discerning of spirits as some really spooky thing of, you know, always discerning what kind of demon, and that's surely part of it. Um, but I would say most of this is really discerning whether it's an evil spirit 
or just our human spirit, okay? Um, So a good definition of the discernment of spirits is, is the gift of perceiving the spiritual motivation for an action or what type of spirit is at work. We'll go to Acts 16 and 16. Um, In regards to the Apostle Paul, again, it says, And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. And the same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation." And this did she many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and he came out the same hour. So Paul discerned that this girl was demon-possessed. And on the outside, it didn't seem like she was demon-possessed. I mean, she was literally saying, these men are the servants of the most high God, which show us the way of salvation. This demon-possessed person was basically giving accolades to Paul and those that were traveling with him. And uh, most demonic activity um, doesn't just show up as demonic activity. Um, The devil, the demons, are very, very deceptive. Very deceptive. And, uh, and of course, we read read of different instances in Scripture. I mean, even Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Even the devil, if he shows up at your door, is most likely not going to resemble what you think the devil looks like. He most likely will show up looking like an angel from God. Why? Because he is there to deceive you. So that's where discernment is so important and and, and operating in the gift of discernment in these specific situations. Uh, Paul could have been discredited by associating demonic activity with the gospel. Um, and, uh, and I believe that's why God gave him that discernment for that spe- specific situation. Um, it is, and it is a mistake to, to blame everything on the devil. Okay. Getting back to that human, human spirit. Uh, we, you know, uh, we don't give any credit to the devil, um, but we certainly shouldn't give him all the blame either. Um, he is at work. But there is also another member warring, okay? And that is our flesh. That is that human spirit, um, that, that human nature of ours. And I would say that this human nature and human spirit is primarily the result of most of our, uh, it's, it's a primary result of sin, is just our flesh, our human nature, human lusts, and human choice. So we have to be able to discern between human spirit and evil spirits, and, of course, the spirit of God. 
So when dealing with people and, and situations in church, and of course, I've been in a few church services, and it's, it's even happened in here where it seemed that there were people, you know, demon-possessed. Um, and it's happened. It's happened right up here. It's happened in the baptismal tank. We've had demon-possessed people here. When I was in Uganda, um, there, was, there was a demon-possessed kid and so we have to, you know, through the gift of discernment, God will, can reveal to us, is this a human spirit or an evil spirit? And uh, there are times that the human spirit will act like the devil. <laughs> right? I mean, we've heard stories. I, I know, I think Billy Cole has a really good story about this, and I was trying to remember it today, but he was dealing with this lady that, that act, acted, you know, demon-possessed. He was in some foreign country, and she was really being a thorn, and I don't remember all the details. And uh, he said something about, you know, we're going to lock her in the room and not feed her. <laughs> and all of a sudden, she came out of it. Well, it told Brother Cole right away that this was not an evil spirit, this was flesh. She didn't want to go without food. So there are times where the human spirit will act very devilish, and we, we, have, got to, um, we have to be able to discern that. I know Brother Chuppie tells a story about, about a particular situation. This was a long time ago in, in I believe, the Bismarck Church where there, there was a, a person who would kind of act out in service, and many thought that it was demon possession. And uh, Brother Chuppie just walks up to this person in a church. I remember that. I remember when he did it, actually. And he just told him straight up. He's like, you stop that. And he just, if you ever do that again in church, I'm going to take you out back. He said something like that. Never happened again. It was just flesh. And uh, so, and, and Brother Chuppie tells the stories like, I didn't walk up to him even, you know, with a plan to say that. But God gave him discernment for the situation. And uh, so it is good to, to be able to discern between um, that human spirit and evil spirit, you know, even what kind of spirit people are dealing with, and also God's spirit, the gift of discerning of spirits. Amen? Uh, the next three that we're going to talk about are the three supernatural gifts of power, okay. We're gonna you know put them in the category of the gifts of power, starting with the the gift of faith, and of course, faith is just a confidence in God. It's a trust. Um, it's an acceptance of something without tangible proof. Um, every of course, every child of God, we we have a measure of faith. We possess. Um, we had enough faith to believe in Him. We had enough faith to, to believe his word. We call that saving faith. We've all been given a measure of faith. And of course, as we mature as Christians, um, there's a, a fruit of the spirit called faith. That there's, the, as a child of God, we bear this fruit of faith and faithfulness. But the gift of faith um, transcends the faith of our daily walk. 
Um, a good definition of the gift of faith is a supernatural ability to trust God or to inspire trust in God for a particular need or circumstance. Um, oftentimes, the gift of faith comes in a response to a trial that would normally overwhelm a person, um, except God grants uh, faith to overcome in spite of the circumstances. In Acts 27 and 25, it says, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. And, uh, of course, an angel appeared to Paul. This was the same situation with that shipwreck and, and, and the situation that Paul was caught up in. An angel appeared to Paul and assured him that God would deliver him and his fellow travelers. So he spoke this in faith. He says, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me, that God's going to get us through this situation, even though it looks like we're about to die. I believe God. I have faith. It's a supernatural moment, a supernatural ability to trust God in a moment. And no human reasoning. In these situations, there's no human intellect and reasoning and rationale will say no. But faith will say, I trust God. Amen. I, I believe God's going to do it. He's spoken it. And I believe the word of God. Amen. The gift of faith. And of course, in this situation, this was not only for Paul, but he inspired others as well, those around him, to believe um, in and trust God. We look, we look at uh, Stephen Stephen in Acts 6 and 5, it says, Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Ghost. Man, that's kind of cool uh, that, that they would put that, you know, that Luke would write that, that, you know, Stephen, this deacon, they were choosing, choosing these deacons, and Stephen, he was full of the Holy Ghost, and he was full of faith. Surely Stephen operated in the gift of faith. And we, we read that in the next chapter in Acts 7. Um, and this is where, you know, he was being stoned to death uh, for what he was preaching. And verse 55 says, but he being full of the Holy Ghost, he looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God in Jesus standing on the right hand of God. He preached in the face of his martyrs. He preached in the face of stones flying at him. And in verse 60, he says, and he kneeled down and he cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. It means he, he died. And Stephen exhibited incredible faith when he was being stoned to death. It's amazing. He just trusted God. Instead of displaying fear, and anger, and bitterness, or pain. <laughs> and I think we can even learn a lesson from this story. That we sometimes like to retaliate to a situation with anger, bitterness. We, we take in that pain, there's fear. But he faced his martyrs with courage and with a Christ-like spirit, trusting God. He, he forgave gave them a spirit of forgiveness. That's an incredible moment of faith. 
If you really think about it, that's an incredible moment of faith. And I believe that that was, a, that was Stephen operating in the gift of faith. Of course, you know, there, there are other instances. I believe that, I believe that Brother Robinette, he, he operates in a gifting of faith. It's almost unexplainable, but he just believes that God's going to do it every single time. And it seems that God does it every single time. He just, he lives in faith. And uh, so God supernaturally uses him in that gifting. Number two, a working, a workings of miracles. Of course, a miracle is an event that appears, uh, um, it appears that it's, it's, it's unexplainable by the laws of nature and is held to be in supernatural origin, that there's something happened that is unexplainable, that there's a, another origin. Of course, that origin is God. It's extraordinary, unusual occurrences that transcend the laws of nature as we know them. Um, it's involved involve the, the direction and intervention of God. It's God's hand doing something that is beyond what we know as normal or as that, you know, that, that uh, uh, conforms to our laws of nature. I mean, of course, to God, all things are possible. So to us, it's a miracle, and to God, it's just a standard procedure. Like, anything is possible. with He can do anything. So to us, it's a great miracle. To God, it's just, it's standard procedure for him. And, and really, in a, in a general sense, you know, all um, answers to prayers are miracles. All spiritual gifts are miraculous. All divine healings are miraculous. But there is a gift to, that is a specific operation of God for the working of miracles. So a good definition of this is a supernatural intervention of God that transcends the laws of nature in a situation and operates through or with a human vessel. And we read of miracles all through Scripture. Of course, in Acts 8, um, the Spirit of God transported Philip out of the desert. It's completely trans... That's a miracle. Amen? Has that happened to anybody before? Never happened to me. I wish that we could just transport to Rochester tomorrow morning. That'd be really cool, but it probably won't happen. That's a miracle. Acts 12, um, an angel of God delivered Peter out of a prison as the church was praying for him. Just a supernatural miracle that cannot be explained, only by the hand of God. Acts 20, (laughs) we read of Eutychus falling out of a window. Amen, because the preacher went too long. And he fell asleep. That's a real story in the Bible. That's amazing. God has mercy on those who fall asleep. I'll be honest with you, there was many years where I, you know, did physical labor. I come into church and it was like a battle royale to keep me awake. It could be like Friday night camp meeting, and I'm just like sleeping. And uh, I've sort of come out of that a little bit, 
because I'm the one preaching now. But anytime I look out in that crowd and I see somebody sleeping, I'm just like, oh, Lord, you reap what you sow. So God was graceful to Eutychus. So he fell out of the window. I think it was like three stories, fell out and died. He died. And Paul went down there and prayed for him. And he was rose back to life. Amen. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. Amen. I'm thankful for the supernatural miracles of God. Um, I'm thankful for these things. I, I like to see a good old miracle every now and then. Right? I don't, my faith isn't based on miracles happening all the time. But it's just fun to see the miraculous hand of God do insane things. Just divine arrangement and and uh, God, God is, uh, his ways are above our ways. However, we cannot expect to operate our entire lives by the gifts of the miraculous. Um, for instance, despite Philip's miracle of being transported, this was not the normal means of transportation in the New Testament church. Okay, they still had to walk, Right? Um, so we can't rely on these things. You know, there were plenty of first century Christians arrested and put to death and, and they weren't miraculously delivered. Right? All the, most of the apostles were martyred. At some point, they, there, was, there wasn't a miracle. That wasn't the plan of God. Um, of course, we believe that God supplies all our needs and uh, we want a miracle. And I'm like, I'm, uh, let's pray for a miracle. I, I like the miraculous. But we can't expect God to supply all our needs every time in a miraculous fashion. Amen? You with me? Hard work. Good stewardship. Paying your, if you want to be blessed financially... If you want to be blessed, who wants to be blessed financially? I got two words for you. You ready for this? Tithes and offering. Okay? If you want to be blessed, and it'll go beyond finances. Sometimes we just got to be good stewards. Sometimes, we, I mean, we got to pay our tithes. And just so everybody knows, tithe is 10%. Right? If we want to keep the heat on in this place, we need to pay our offering. <laughs> Amen? But so I'm just saying that we can't rely on a miracle every time we need something. Sometimes God's like, hey, sometimes the most miraculous thing, the most biblical, godly thing you can do is just go to work. Right? Show up to work. Um, I'll leave that alone. Amen. We got a lot of very hardworking people in this place, so I'm not preaching to anybody. But uh, we, I'm just saying we can't just can't. And I, I'm not I'm not taken away from the miraculous. I'm just saying there's some practical things that we got to do as well. The third gift here is the gifts of healing. Um, of course, to heal means to restore to health or soundness, to cure, to set right, to repair. Uh, this can mean physical, mental, 
and of course, spiritual restoration as well. Um, in the new birth experience, we all receive spiritual healing. Um, there's forgiveness of sins. We're, we're reconciled um, to God. There's, there's a new spiritual life. He's given us a new heart. I talked about that Sunday. Like, I've been thinking about that all week, like the miracle of, giving, you know, of a new heart and how God can change people. Like there's a healing with the new birth. And, of course, then we develop the fruit of the Spirit and, and maturity and, and all these sort of, that's a miraculous healing that God does through the new birth, that there's a death and a resurrection. But in, rega- in regards to the gift of the gifts, it's plural, the gifts of healing, um, they are healings of both physical and mental conditions beyond the spiritual and emotional restoration that all Christians should and can receive as part of their new life in Christ. And of course, we have the gifts of healing. There are various kinds of healing. Now, I don't know all the different kinds, but it just seems that God works in different conditions in different ways. You know, the other day, Brother Cornwell, like he's looking for couples who want to have a baby. Because he's like, when I pray for people that want to get, he calls it, does he call it the gift of pregnancy? Is that what he calls it? And he feels like God gave him the gift of pregnancy. And that's a, I believe that's a type of gifts of healing. And he, he, he calls them out. He wants to pray for them. And many have become pregnant um, after he's prayed for them. So I would say that would be a good, a good example of the different kinds of gifts of healing. A good definition of the gifts of healing is of various forms of supernatural cure or restoration from illness, diseases, injuries, and other impairments. And of course, this can be physical, this can be mental, this can be emotional. Um, There are many examples. It seems that there are more examples of the gifts of healing in Scripture, uh, or or of healing in Scripture than anything else. Um, and I don't, I, I'm, maybe it's just because it's more evident. Um, I'm not exactly sure, but, but God's very nature is to heal. This, uh, God's all about healing. Even just in the, in the New Testament or, in, you, know, in the, you know, beyond the Gospels, we read of the lame man at the temple healed and the, the paralyzed and the lame in Samaria healed. And, of course, Saul of Tarsus, before we started calling him Paul, he was healed of blindness. And over and over, there were supernatural um, healings that took place. And uh, I've seen, and we've all, we've, you know, we all have testimonies of God healing. And I remember when I was in the Philippines, there was a little boy um, who had never walked before. He's like probably six or seven years old and never walked. And they prayed for him and the the boy walked. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was a miracle. It was just a, a supernatural healing. And uh, I've never seen the blind eyes open. And uh, I'm praying that I could see that someday, that I could see somebody see. I think that'd be pretty cool. Uh, Brother Bankins, um, one of the gentlemen that was here with Brother Cornwell, he went to, I don't even know where it was, Brazil. I think it was Brazil with uh, Brother Robinette here this last year. And uh, he, he actually has it on video. There was like this, uh, probably, you know, probably, she was probably about 20 years old. No, where, they, where, where were they at? 
I don't remember. Anyways, um, about a 20-year-old girl, and her dad brought her up to, the, to get prayed for during the crusade and had, was carrying her. And she, Brother Bankins described her as a perfectly normal girl, but her legs were like this big around. Um, she had never walked before in her entire life. And uh, they brought her up to get prayed for, and uh, they prayed for her. And all of a sudden, the dad just kind of goes crazy, and he's looking down. He can feel her legs begin to grow on his arm. <laughs> and she hops down, like the dad sets her down, and she starts walking, and she just starts running. And Brother Bankins gets his phone, phone out and just starts following her. <laughs> and he has this video. He showed it to me. And she's just running and she's jumping and she's just looking at her legs and she just could not believe it. And, uh, and of course, he got a video of all that. That's, that's pretty cool. Like God, God's, he's a healer. Amen. And uh, it's in his nature to heal. And uh, I believe that I'm always looking, I'm always praying for a healing, right? Like, if anybody's sick, we're going to pray for them to be healed, all right? We're going to give God an opportunity to, to do the miraculous. And many, many examples, I know there's other stories in here that we could testify about. One thing with healing, though, is we really do like the instantaneous healings, amen? Like, we're just, it's gone, but healing sometimes takes time. Sometimes healing, even in Scripture, is progressive. It does take time. And it's, it's pretty cool that even our bodies, um, God made our human body to naturally heal. You know, when a surgeon does something in the inner, they're not healing you. They're fixing something so that you can be healed. Like we have this mechanism in us that we just, our body heals itself. And I think that's a testimony of him. I think how God created us testifies of Jesus Christ. And uh, I was thinking about that earlier. I was reading beginning of Genesis and, you know, these guys were living 800 years and Methuselah living 969 years. And I'm thinking, Man, that healing mechanism must have been like supercharged back then. Because have you guys ever seen a pickup that's 100 years old? Have you ever seen a house that's 200 years old? It looks terrible. Like, I'm thinking a human body that's close to 1,000 years old. Like, what on earth did he look like? <laughs> But I have a feeling that that, that, in that that healing mechanism that God put inside of them was just like supercharged back then. Of course, we can get into all the, you know, whether it was a greenhouse effect and, you know, before the flood and the waters fell and all that sort of stuff. I'm sure there's a good scientific explanation. But, um, but again, healing is sometimes just progressive. Mark 8 and 22 um, speaking of Jesus, and he came to Bethesda, and they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw. 
And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. So he had a blurred vision. And after that, he put his hands upon his eyes and made him look up and he was restored and saw every man clearly. So this is just a a short snippet of a progressive healing that God started something and he also finished it. And there's other examples of this in scripture. Um, But sometimes... Um, It just takes time for God to complete his healing. And uh, we don't know why he does that. Um, Oftentimes, God is, you know, he takes us through things. He takes us through a a process. I was thinking today that I, I can't think of a great man of God in Scripture who didn't have a process, that they, they all went through, they had a process to become great in God. And sometimes I do believe that God will use things as sickness. Of course, Paul refers to the thorn in his side and, and all this sort of thing. We don't know, you know, whether that was a, uh, you know, a physical ailment or maybe it was a person. You ever thought that it was a person? It was just a thorn in his side? I don't know if it was or not. I've thought of that. But, uh, but God allowed that to strengthen Paul, to work patience in Paul. And uh, so regardless of how God works um, and whether the healing is instantaneous or whether it's over a period of time, uh, we just trust God. Amen. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Amen. Sometimes God miraculously delivers us from a trial, and sometimes he allows us to go through the trial. He gives, and he takes away. And what do we say? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. James 1 and 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. (laughs) Count it all joy when things are going bad. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Amen. So we could, we could talk a lot more about healing and, uh, and go many different directions there. Uh, the next three gifts that we're going to talk about are the gifts of utterance. And they are the gift of tongues, the gift of interpretation, in the gift of prophecy. And what I'm going to do is I'm actually just going to, we're going to finish chapter 12 today, and we're going to, I'm going to skip these three gifts, um, the gifts of utterance, and we're going to go to chapter 14 next week. We're going to skip chapter 13. We're going to go to 14 because Paul talks a lot about these three in chapter 14, tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. And then after chapter 14, we'll go back to chapter 13. And chapter 13 is just, it's just a little, you know, I think 20 some verses or so on love. And it's just kind of smack dab in the middle of talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And so we'll talk about that after we get through talking about these other three gifts of utterance. Does that make sense? Hope I'm not going to confuse everybody. Let's just, I'm going to just read the rest of this chapter. 1 Corinthians 12 and 11, 
If you can follow along with me, that'd be gracious. But all these worketh that one and self same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. God determines who he's going to use and what gift. Okay, this is all up to the will of God. This is God's plan. This is his choice. It's not up to us. Now, we can, we can, uh, we can you know, quench the spirit you know, we can, we can, you know, withhold ourselves from the prompting of the Spirit, but whom he uses, when, and how is up to God. Verse 12, for as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And we, we really shouldn't be insecure in what we are in Christ. Okay? We don't need to say, well, I'm not so-and-so. I'm not the hand, I'm not the foot, but we can be secure in who we are and what role God uses us in the kingdom and in his body, because we are a member in his body, amen? Verse 16, and if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye and I am, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? So Paul's saying if the whole body was an eye, we would see, but we wouldn't smell. If the whole body was a nose, we would smell, but we wouldn't see. Okay, so understand that all these members are so important to, to the body of Christ. Verse 18, but now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. He did it how he wanted to, as it has pleased him. If we live to please him, we will be fine with wherever God has us, okay? And if they were all one member, where were the body? And now... Are they members yet but one body? And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. He said there's some parts of the body that seem to be weaker, but they're very necessary. In verse 23, And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable Upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. So we understand that the right arm gets a lot of attention. It's involved in everything, okay? It seems to be very important for a lot of different things, amen? But how about, how about the liver? How about the kidneys and the lungs, the heart? Um, they seem to get less notable attention than the right arm, 
Understand? They're just hidden, but they're important. But when you go to the doctor and you get a physical, the doctor isn't really concerned about your right arm most of the time. He's listening to your lungs. He's listening to your heartbeat. He's talking about your diet in regards to your kidneys and your liver and your organs. Get what I'm saying? Not everything is as it appears. Okay? So there are going to be members of this church, of this body, that seem to be a right arm. They're involved in everything. They, they kind of just seem to be very important. That's okay. Seems like they're always getting attention. Like this right arm is involved in just about everything I do. Okay? But there's some members of this church that are not so noticeable. They're not singing the solo. They're not teaching from the pulpit. But they're important. There's some people in this church that pray. They, they've, been, they've been given to prayer. God's called them to pray. And they come in this church quietly, every service. They're faithful to the house of God. But they're not the right arm. But they're important to the body of Christ. Okay? So things aren't always as they appear. And I give, I give those members honor. Amen? This is what Paul was talking about, that every member, we, one member can't say to the other member, I don't need you. We need every member of the body. You are not more important than somebody else. Amen? Somebody else isn't more important to you. Get what I'm saying? This is what Paul was saying. Verse 25, that there should be no schism. I'm going with schism this time. Some people say schism. Schism in the body. But that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. We're not, at, we're not at odds with each other. We're not in competition with each other. Amen? We're not in competition to be the right arm. But we're working together as part of the same body, just different members. Verse 27, now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular, and God hath set some in the church, first apostles and secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, and after that miracles and gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healings, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. 
And I'll just say here, you know, people use this scripture all the time. Do all speak with tongues? Paul is talking here about the gifts of the Spirit. Okay, he's talking about the gift of tongues. Okay, gift of tongues really means nothing without an interpretation. And the whole purpose of tongues interpretation is so God speaks to the church. This is tongues interpretation. This is not talking about the initial evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost. This is not talking about praying in the Spirit and tongues. We're going to get into all that. But Paul said, but covet earnestly the best gifts. And I would just say, you know, people ask, well, what's the best gift? It's the one that can be the most edifying to the church in that moment. Okay, because the gifts of the Spirit, the whole purpose of them is for the edification and the building up of the church. And then he says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way, which goes right into chapter 13, talking about love. We're going to skip that for one week. We're going to go to 14, chapter 14. We're going to talk about those gifts of utterance, prophecy, interpretation, and tongues. Amen? Can all stand tonight? God's good. I hope, I hope this is bringing some clarity. And I'm, I, I, I do want to be a good teacher. <laughs> and uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem like it comes very naturally for me. Um, but I'm trying to, when I, when I go, when I come up here and I'm teaching the word of God like this verse by verse, I do take this seriously. I don't want to misinterpret scripture. I want to rightly divide it. And I pray that uh, the church is, is receiving the word of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy tonight. God, we thank you for this time together.